This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Grateful for um, for every single one of you. My name is Paul, and I'm privileged to serve as pastor here, and uh, I'm privileged to serve alongside all of the volunteers. Uh, we are an all volunteer staff, myself included, here at Victory Church, and it's a pleasure to work with and serve alongside with and grow with and pray with and play ball with and and go to plays with all of you. And indeed, uh, the hashtag teammates matter is one that I think I've been called to to put up on every social media platform for the rest of my life because they do matter. And we are who we are because of you. Uh, Every victory group leader, thank you for how you serve uh, throughout the week as well. A quick special shout out, uh, maybe not so quick. I want to just highlight those who might be listening to this podcast a little later on because they're next door serving with our children. Um, Victory Kids, can we just give it up for them, for the the team that serves over there? I worked as a high school counselor for several years, and I can tell you there's some spirit-filled preventive maintenance going on outside of this room. And so when y'all listen to this podcast, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the discipleship work you do with our children. We are going to be a bit more intentional, strategic, and and, uh, and having a rhythm to our yearly calendar such that the kids can worship with us. I think there's something particularly special about multi-generational worship experiences where they can see us worshiping and us, them, and together we can do so. We can talk about tithing and giving more than they're already doing, but they can hear it together as a family. So we'll have those moments as well. We're starting with fifth Sundays, and and we may even transition to some summer, a month or so, where they're just here with us. But when they're not, I just wanted to say thank you. There's some of you here in this room who might be off, if you will, from serving today. Thank you. Whether you're checking folks in, you're assisting a teacher, you're teaching, you're doing lessons, you're coordinating who does what, you are making purchases, you're sending emails, you're scheduling people through planning center, and there is no part of serving that is too small. It's all huge. And to that end, to add to Joseph's appeal for those who might want to serve for Easter, today even, if you want to get a glimpse of what breakdown or teardown looks like, we could use some hands on deck to actually lift the mats that we have our kids to sit on and to play on. And I think if we have a good cadre of folks, it might go rather quickly. Um, And if you want to serve even beyond that, um, they've embraced the privilege of discipling our youth Um, which is really a privilege. And if you want to, in some way, steward a gift that you have, again, it could be checking folks in, teaching, assisting, scheduling. There are so many avenues, one Sunday a month, one Sunday a year, whatever it might be. You can literally see me today. I'll be right outside these doors uh, shaking hands or maybe giving a fist bump or elbow bump. And uh, you can come and let me know that that is your desire. But thank God for you for serving our kids in that way. Um, we're in a sermon series called Reconcile to God and Each Other. I'm kind of kicking it off. I always give our presenters of the gospel when they come in from out of town some leeway, either to come right into the sermon series we're doing, or if they so choose, they get a wild card and they can just say what God is saying to them in the moment. And last week, did we not have a word from Pastor Jim Critcher? If you were here. He is uh, a mentor in the faith and Um, And so we just thank God for using him in the way that he did. So today and throughout the rest of the month, uh, we're going to be talking in line with this sermon series, Reconciled to God uh, and Each Other. 
So let's continue in the word in that regard. You can turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22. And to help me with that, I'm going to ask Neve Woods to join me on the stage. Can you all give her a hand as she comes up? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Again, so good to see all of your faces, those live streaming. Great to have you uh, with us and choosing to to worship with us for the hour uh, that we do. So if you have Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, you can read with Neve as she reads. But before you read, Neve, let's pray into Psalm 119 and 18 that says, Lord, open our eyes so that as we read and study and share from your word, we can see what you want us to see in the law. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. You got it. As for you, you were dead, dead in your, in your transgressions, transgressions and, and sins, in which you used, used to, to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you have once were far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Let me give him a big hand. Let me just put that. I'll keep it here. That is not easy. Right? You're like, man, Paul, the time you choose to read 22 verses, then you bring a teenager on stage? Yes. And we're going to do that as often as we can. Thank you, Neve. That was awesome. I'm going to come back and read verses 13 through 16, which is what we'll emphasize today. Another quick caveat. I don't know how long that took, two, three minutes. Read a chapter. Let's do that every day. Maybe not Psalm 119. You know, some of those that have like a, you know, you might break some of those up. But uh, what's that? We, we, can, we, can, we can do this. All right, verse 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So turn to your left or to your right and just ask your neighbor this question. Did you come to get encouraged today? And turn to the, to the other neighbor, if you have another neighbor, if not, same one, and say, well, it's time to die. Because after all, that is the most encouraging sermon title that you've probably ever heard. It is time to die. That is what we've titled this message this morning. Death is so layered, so layered, so many emotions, so many thoughts attached to death. Um, For me, it becomes particularly um, clear how complex and nuanced it is when I'm speaking to young people. I reference being a high school counselor, and whenever, particularly when we lost a young person and we're talking to them about another young person, um, students who we've had lost due to homicide or overdose, um, student we lost to cancer, and we would have students in small groups or one-to-one and trying to, 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 to talk with them and help them wrap their brains around the loss of this teenager, for me, in many ways, just opened up this layered concept even more. And now with our young kids, all of whom are under 10 years old in our home, with whom we've had to have similar conversations because they too have lost classmates, how do you help them wrap their brain around the fact they're not going to see their friend the next day in the hallway? The sadness is inexplicable. How do you, how do you even begin that conversation? And in those moments, for me, I really realize just how layered and complex death is. Um, and in our house, of course, we layer in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, such that after we leave this earth, there's another life. There's hope. We can live with Jesus forever. And it's awesome to see that hope sort of infused. There's no script, by the way, some guiding principles for those conversations, but there's no script. We just say, God, help. (laughs) But there's some hope we see that comes about on the faces of our kids as we've had those conversations. Hope, if I'm honest, at times that we've had to Um, rein back in or try to dial back, which is weird, because you're like, no, don't dial back to hope. And yet when things are said like, "Uh, I can't wait till we get to heaven, you're like, yes, and don't do anything crazy today to speed that process up, (laughs) right? There's this this hope with kids that you've got to really try to, the best you can, help them navigate um, 
much as you possibly can do. There are questions that come about, um, like, will my little ponies be in heaven? That help you think, huh, how much have I thought about what's going to be happening in heaven? Or, daddy, will you have that raggedy shirt in heaven on the other side, right? Will we not have to see that anymore? Your slippers, whatever you've held on to, your t-shirt from Little League, right? Those questions just come in and you think, what else haven't I thought about or considered as it relates to death? But there's hope. Revelation 21 talks about there being no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And yet there's this tension, too, of the loss of the physical manifestation of life. We're in the Lenten season right now. It began on February 26th, and it runs through Maundy Thursday, April 9th, the day before Good Friday. A season in which many say we're going to mirror the 40 days of Jesus' time in the desert, fasting, praying, some giving alms. Some of you may have even participated in Ash Wednesday, which corporately is Victory Church. We don't do, but by no means is it because of some deep, significant theological qualm with that. We just happen to not participate. But if you have, you hear things like, from dust you come and to dust you'll return. So you ponder death. You ponder the life of Christ, uh, uh, the, the solemn, sobering reality of his death on the cross, the excruciating, long, painful death that he gave for you and for me and the sins that he nailed to the cross for him. As we also anticipate resurrection, the hope, the hope that said, you know, we're not going to agree with the terms of what others would say should be an extended stay. We're going to check out in three days. The hope that got up, thankfully, he did because the power with which he rose, you and I would need today. 2,000 years later, I suspect Jesus was thinking because he knows all things. There's going to be a church who's going to set about some things. They're going to have a vision a bit bigger than themselves, and they're going to need this kind of power. And so we, too, have this tension that we grapple with, the tension of how we die ourselves to ourselves which is a lifelong, at times very uncomfortable and even painful process, but also produces hope through Jesus as he shines through the death of self. Marriages that are on the brink of divorce. We can see God's resurrection power shine through, particularly when we say, I'll die. (laughs) I'll submit. Our self-esteem, when it gets low, We can say, how about God esteem? How about the resurrected power that comes along with what you've called me to be and who you've called me to be and what you have to say about me? This text today, what Neve read, communicates so much. Verses 13 through 16 communicate so much, but what we'll emphasize over the next 15, 20 minutes is that death opens the door to reconciliation. Death opens the door to reconciliation. Reconciliation implies that there is a separation between two or more parties. There's some enmity. There's some opposition. There's some breakdown in the relationship, incompatibility. There's an alienation, if you will. Reconciliation brings with it a change from that enmity that I referenced, fragmentation, to one of harmony and fellowship. It's the end of the estrangement that was previously existing. Apostle Paul wrote this book uh, to the church at Ephesus. He had been to Ephesus after his second missionary journey. Um, 
then on his third missionary journey, he planted this church there and stayed there three years, which is the longest he ever stayed anywhere, which just as I was reading that, I was like, what? Like, how is that the longest you've ever stayed? You know what goes into starting a church? But Apostle Paul had an incredible gifting on him. He stayed for three years, and that was long, and he just kind of went and kept on leading and, min- and ministering in this way of planting churches. But he wrote this letter from prison, sent it with a guy named Tychicus, who was a trusted minister of the gospel at the time, and he said, carry this letter over to the church at Ephesus, helping them to understand, broaden their horizons, if you will, about the depths of the salvific work of Jesus Christ, helping them understand a bit more about how we can live through Jesus Christ in unity and love, even through persecution. So in this chapter, he's outlining the condition of the people and then the glorious change that was brought about in them by grace and the awesome privileges that the Jews and the Gentiles receive from Christ. Death opens the door to reconciliation. Verse 13, he's emphasizing again the great change that was made in their state, saying, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, not unlike you and me due to our sin, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1 and 20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciliation is intentional and it is action-oriented. God came down, took on human flesh, entered our broken world, and yet didn't break. Because of his perfect life, he was then able to be the atonement once and for all for my sins and for your sins, bridging the gap created by our sins and offering us the privilege to say, we choose you over the world. Goes on to show that those who were in the state of enmity now are reconciled as well. Between the Jews and the Gentiles, there was some friction, some ceremonial laws, if you will, but it says... He is our peace. And being so, made the two groups one and destroyed that dividing wall of hostility, the ceremonial law the, 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 in the temple, the court where the Gentiles could be, but the space where only the Jews could enter into. That dividing wall of hostility, Jesus came to demolish it all. He abolished, verse 15 says, in his flesh, the enmity took away the power of that law makes me wonder, what do we give power to that belongs to Jesus, that he already has, but we're trying and giving in our own way power to things that have no power? And by doing so, by destroying the power of that law, he formed one church of believers, whether they had been Jews or Gentiles. I was looking for Hiawatha. I think I was going to say New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys. He happens to be a Cowboy fan, but... Jesus can work in miracle, I mean, mysterious and miraculous ways. Uh, yes, tell them. Listen to the podcast. I want. Verse 16 says, they were now one body, reconciled through the cross, through death. Death opens the door to reconciliation. But here's what I like to focus, to focus on today, and really to be the discussions even of our victory groups this week. That sometimes in our desire to reconcile, we can miss the necessity of the death. He had to die. Jesus had to die. Justice demanded so. He's a God of justice. And likewise, for us to experience the horizontal reconciliation that we seek, 
death is a necessity. But the first step in that process is knowing what it is that needs to die. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Which then the question in your mind probably is, well, what are the misdeeds? Well, 1 John 2 and 16 gives us a clue. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. Our pride needs to die. Lust of the flesh needs to die. Lust of the eyes needs to die a little bit closer to the ground, our tendency to serve our own needs above the needs of others. That needs to die. College students, y'all burning stuff, whatever you do, and spraying stuff on your pillows to sleep and your roommates choking to death. There may be some things that need to die for reconciliation to take place. Our belief that our way is the right way just because might need to die. This is the way we've always done it, we say which is probably a really good reason why it might need to die. Our generational legacy of explicit and implicit bias needs to die. Husbands and wives, sometimes you can attest to the fact that you're in a situation or an argument. If you have that, we call them intense fellowships. (laughs) And you're in that, and one person's ready to move on. They're ready to go, but the other one is like, oh, no, no, (laughs) no. We ain't going nowhere. In fact, I want to move on. I really do. I get that God can do anything. He can fix the world. But Jesus died. You have it. (laughs) Habits haven't changed. Thought processes haven't changed. I don't even know that you know what there is to die. But something needs to die for reconciliation to take place. There's some language that might have to die. Parents, grandparents, if we're doing this intergenerational reconciliation, how might we adjust language such that they want to even hear what we have to say? You have it easy these days. Whatever might come out of our mouth that just stiff arms and distances the next generation. For those of us in a position who can shape policy, there may be policy, some ceremonial laws, if you will, that privilege some and marginalize others, thereby creating walls of hostility. Some of those policies might need to die for the reconciliation that we seek to be a reality. Some of us are ready to move past race. Like, why do we even talk about it? Slavery's over. We had a black president. UVA accepted black folk 50 years ago. We're good. But in our desire to do so, which, by the way, is very well-intentioned, right? Like, what? Lord, yeah, it'd be great to talk about the human race, but we can tend to miss and skip over the death that needs to happen. The necessity is death. Justice demands it. The centuries-old forms of pride of life, lust of the flesh, and lust of the eyes that are woven into the very fabric of the culture, the air that we breathe, needs to be unearthed and mortified. Verse 13 says, you were brought near. Brought near, active. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ, by death. Death. Death opens the door to reconciliation. Are you encouraged yet? Death opens the door to reconciliation. And in the church, even there are some traditions that might need to die in order for us to build on norms that reflect heaven more than they reflect our preferences or the way we've always done things. And chances are we won't see those things alone really good friend of mine, 
best friend, best man in my wedding, best man. And he was the best man in our wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. He uh, pastors a church up in D.C. and has this other company that he runs and does consulting work. And he said, Paul, I want you to come with me. I got this gig, this client down south. We're going to go talk to them, cultural competence type of stuff. And so I go. I'm like, great, thanks for the opportunity, you know. And uh, we get there. We're there. I come downstairs from the hotel room. And he's like head in his palm upon seeing me. And you know the laugh where your shoulders kind of bop like that? <laughs> that was him. And he's laughing, and I'm like, what's, what's the problem? Apparently my shoes needed to die. And I had no idea. He goes on like, man, like you the kid showing up for Easter? What's the Easter suit? What are you doing? And I thought, well, thank you. Now we have to go through the rest of this day with all of these clients with me thinking about my jacked up shoes. <laughs> Point is... I didn't know. I needed somebody in my community to help me to realize what needed to die. We don't see things alone. We won't see everything alone. And this is why here at Victory, Victory Groups are so critical. It's not just about making friends, though, yes, that's part of it. It's not just about getting a good meal, though, yes, that's part of it. It's about being around and rubbing shoulders with folks who can help you see what needs to die for reconciliation to really happen. It's a medium through which God can nudge us and say, it's time to die. Because death opens the door to reconciliation. And here's the kicker. It will probably be painful. Probably be long. Probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Last I checked, the crucifixion was all of those and more. College students, there's probably no smiling faces under the oak tree, like on the brochures when you're applying to UVA. Or wherever you're applying to, right? There's probably not that in the brochure of reconciliation. And reconciliation amongst us, messy and hard as it is, will probably take a whole lot longer than any one of us would actually prefer. Like our own lives. And can I just tell you, Victory Church, we are not a microwave testimony church. I don't think there is one, but just if you were wondering how we perceived it here, we are not in a microwave testimony business. When your vision says reconcile to God and each other, basically says it's time to die. Welcome to Victory Church. Yeah! (laughs) It's time to die. But the good news is this. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's good news. Philippians 1.21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What is it that we gain? Ephesians 3 and 20 tells us, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So the question then becomes, how might you die so that reconciliation can take another step? We'll talk about forgiveness in a couple of weeks, but how have you not forgiven? Or what are the ways in which you might listen better than you have? How are we maintaining the walls of hostility in our sphere of influence? I imagine a community committed to dying every single day, putting ourselves in position to learn how we need to die, and then mortifying the flesh every single day, and by doing so, then opening up the door to become more like him. And as we do that, the better neighbor we become. I absolutely love coming to this church every week. Every week, Kayla and I prayed, Lord, 
you know, I just grew up. I grew up coming to a church. I love going to my church. I, we got older. We got married. I love going to Grace Covenant. I want to enjoy coming to church. I don't want to have a laundry list of disclaimers from my friends that I invite. Every church has to have one. We're not perfect. That's a disclaimer, right? But I don't want a laundry list. I want just to enjoy, and I genuinely enjoy coming and fellowshipping and engaging. I enjoy visiting your victory groups. I enjoy the time we get to spend with each other, people who look like and don't look like, think like, and don't think like, are from and are not from the areas we're from. I love it. And in our case, racial reconciliation will always bring about multi-ethnic congregational population, if you will, but the reverse isn't always the case. That's not automatic. You can have a multi-ethnic space and no reconciliation. And so while I am happy and delighted that we get to come and call this home every week, please know it's a start. It's a great start, but it's a start because, Jocelyn, it's time to die for reconciliation to take place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that says we get to die so that through us you can live and do what we can't on our own, which is destroy walls of hostility that are very layered, certainly layered between the Jews and the Gentiles as we outlined, and by extension layered in our communities today, whether generationally, whether through, through due to age or race or gender. Otherwise, Lord, we know the layers that persist, and you called us, though, to steward, as 2 Corinthians 5 and 18 says, the ministry of reconciliation here in the earth. So help us today to die. Die to the pride of life. Die to the lust of the flesh. Die to the lust of the eyes and the ways they manifest that maintain those walls of hostility. Help us to see clearly those things that need to die. As we recognize the ultimate demonstration of reconciliation, that which occurred on Golgotha. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon you. Thank you for that. Because of that and our being able to plug into that you, we then can see a way forward horizontally with the reconciliation that we seek. It's through the cross and it's through death of self. Help us to open the door to reconciliation better not through effort per se, but through increased awareness of what the gospel has to say and how we might participate. With eyes closed and heads bowed, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, gosh, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that I need to die, but there's one way I haven't yet died to myself, and that is by accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. And if that is you, we want to pray with you. Raise your hand now if you want to say yes to, Lord, to the Lord today to him being your Lord, to him being your Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those here already having made that decision and yet making the decision every single day, as Crystal referenced earlier, Romans 12 and 1, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to die every day such that your will becomes ours. God, I pray that we would embrace that privilege and as we move forward together, growing together, 
praying together, learning together, hurting together, celebrating together, studying God's word together, God, that we would be a beacon of life, a city on the top of the hill that cannot be hidden, that we would be a community through whom the city of Charlottesville can be one for Jesus Christ in a way, God, that we so desperately have not seen, a reconciled people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you desire prayer every week.